This is the Gene Truth, and welcome back. I got a lot to cover today. I got the Chicago Bears, uh, what they should be doing going forward. I got my NFL rankings, my top 10 teams in the NFL, and also some very, very, very early NBA predictions for this season. But before I can start with that, let me start with some music that I've been listening to, and this artist is one that a lot of people know, Bruno Mars. Now, for me, Bruno Mars, personally, I love his music, but I prefer his earlier albums, the Duops and Hooligans album, as well as the Unorthodox Jukebox album, more so than his more recent albums, like 24K Magic. Just because I like sort of the more... It, it just seems a lot more emotional and very pouring his heart out, rather than very dancey. I, that's just me. I just prefer that more emotional music rather than the more dance music in that case. But I've been, I've been listening to that and it's been and it's been really really good. Halloween's coming up. I'm probably gonna go as look at me, Harry Potter. Um, I have everything that works for Harry Potter. I am. I have the glasses. I usually put a scar somewhere on my forehead, and I have the messed up hair sometimes. And from then on, it's just all about dressing up. But let's hop right into it. The first topic is the Chicago Bears. The Chicago Bears had a really sad, bad loss to the, to the Los Angeles Chargers this past Sunday, where Eddie Pinheiro missed a game-winning field goal. Now there is some question as to whether Matt Nagy should have called for the QB kneel, or should he have done something to that the ball was lined up perfectly in the middle of the field rather than, you know, off to the side so that Eddie Pinheiro had the best possible chance. And that's true. But that's not what I'm here to talk about. Not special teams for all that. But what the Bears have to do this upcoming season. Not this season. This upcoming season. So it's looking off into the future. I don't believe Matt Nagy is the problem for them. Their defense looks amazing still carrying on from what they did last year. Not at the same clip, but still really, really well. The problem is, and has been, it has been proclaimed by many, many people, Mitchell Trubisky, the quarterback. The quarterback is the problem because he cannot make the necessary throws, the accurate throws, when it matters most, and consistently throughout the game to keep the defense on their heel. Because if he was able to do that, this Chicago Bears team would be amazing with a great defense and then a great offense. So, what they need to do, I believe, is move on from him pronto, stat, immediately. Because you cannot waste that defense. You cannot waste that defensive talent with a poor quarterback. So, I decided, alright, they're probably not going to trade for a quarterback. So instead, they should look at this upcoming quarterback free agency market because they need a quarterback immediately. So there are three quarterbacks I found that headlined the whole free agency regarding quarterbacks. And that's Philip Rivers, Drew Brees, and Dak Prescott. Now, Philip Rivers and Drew Brees are going to get signed by their respective teams, the Chargers and the Saints. Because they are Hall of Fame quarterbacks, and in the case of Philip Rivers, even though right now the season, right now the season is not going great, it's more of an honorary uh, re resigning to help develop other 
the uh, second and third string quarterbacks, including Easton Stick, who is currently a rookie. And for Drew Brees, he still looks great. Did you see that game against the Cardinals? Yeah, he still looks great. Dak Prescott, I'm still a little bit unsure about whether he's going to get re-signed, but most likely he will. And if not, he's probably going to go to another team, not Chicago Bears. But if the, Chicago's, if the Chicago Bears did somehow land him, that would be great for them. So, the secret fourth option, not those three quarterbacks that headline the free agency market. The secret fourth option at quarterback, Teddy Bridgewater. Yes, yes. And this came to mind when... Teddy Bridgewater got benched for Drew Brees. And yes, he could easily re-sign with the Saints. But I'm just saying, this would be great for the Chicago Bears. And I think Teddy Bridgewater would take a serious look at this too. Because he definitely wants to return to the role that he had as the primary starting quarterback that he had with the Minnesota Vikings before he got injured. So, why should the Chicago Bears get Teddy Bridgewater? Well... Putting it pretty simply is that he does what is necessary. He's not going to put up huge numbers like Patrick Mahomes or Drew Brees, 4,000 passing yards, 5,000 passing yards, 40 touchdowns, 30 touchdowns. No. But he does what needs to be done. And he will make this offense for the, for the Chicago Bears look much more competent. And he is a winner. He is a winner. His career with the Vikings as well as the Saints, he was 22 and 12. 22 wins and 12 losses. That's a pretty good record if you ask me. And arguably, he could he would have won that game against the Seahawks if Blair Washington famously missed the kick. In his second year as quarterback for the Minnesota Vikings, he went 11 and 5 with 3,200 yards, 14 touchdowns, 9 interceptions. Like I said, he is not going to put up crazy statistics, but he will protect the ball, and he will get touchdowns, and he will do what, need. He will do what is needed. And in the end, like I said, 11-5, he wins games, and he is a far better bet than putting this whole team on the back of Mitchell Trubisky. And, and, I haven't mentioned this yet, he is young, 26 years old. There's still time for him to grow, to get better, if you do not like his accuracy, his throwing. And he will get better, too. Unlike Mitchell Trubisky, who has shown no signs of real improvement diagnosing defenses or getting more accurate with the ball. So I believe Teddy Bridgewater is the way to go for the, for the Chicago Bears. They do not need some big-name quarterback to save them. They just need a quarterback that can get the job done and win games so that they can ride their defense all the way to the playoffs and maybe, maybe a Super Bowl. Alright, next I have my NFL rankings, my top 10. And some teams didn't make this. I was unsure whether I could put them into the 8, 9, 10 spot. And those teams were the Texans, Bills, Rams. Just off the top of my head, the Bills, yeah, you lost against the Eagles. Now, I knew that the Eagles, I, I had the Eagles winning that, for sure. I had them winning that. But that's because I did not believe the Bills were really that good. They have a great defense, unlike some of these teams that I'm going to mention. They have a great defense, but their offense is nowhere to be found. The Rams, they have 
almost hit their groove, but I want to wait. I, I want to wait them out two more games, two more games to see whether or not they really are back to the same Rams that they were last season, but better. And then the last team is the Texans. Texans they lost against the Colts, and then they had a scrape by win against the Raiders. And yes, Deshaun Watson made that incredible throw. And as long as you have Deshaun Watson on your team, you have a chance. But that's it's tough for me to put them right up there with them barely beating a Raiders team and their defense not playing so great. It's tough. So these are the top 10 teams that I have this at this point. And number 10, I have the Minnesota Vikings. Now, they look good. Kirk Cousins has been going off. But can you please just give me a signature win? I would have them much higher up if they did not beat down on teams that at that time did not have a winning record. They couldn't beat the Packers or the Bears. And they barely beat the Redskins in primetime television. 19-9. to 9. Come on. You cannot let the Redskins stay that close to you. At home as well. They're a good team. And they resolved some issues with with Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen, even though he's out. But I really want to see them prove themselves in upcoming games. Their next two games are against the Chiefs and the Cowboys. I'm not sure if Patrick Mahomes is going to play for the Chiefs, but still. The Chiefs and Cowboys, that those two games are going to be a good test of how good this Vikings team really is. And, those, and, bo- and both of those games are going to be away games. So that's even more of a true test. And then their last two games are also going to be a huge test of who they are against the Packers and the Bears. Divisional games. It's going to be really good. But it's going to determine whether or not this team really is a contender or if they're a pretender that can only be down on not-so-great teams. At 9, I have the Cowboys. And I know, Cowboys over the Vikings is a bit... It's a bit uh, hypocritical of me because, yes, they've also done the exact same thing, beating down on teams that aren't that great. And they lost to the Jets. And they couldn't beat the Packers or Saints. So, again, give me a signature win. Well, their signature win, in a way, is the Eagles. And if they can beat the Eagles again away, that would be great for them because they would pretty much wrap up the whole division and seal a spot in the playoffs. I believe that the Cowboys can be a very, very good team, which is why I have them at number 9. But they have to have the right motivation. You saw them against the Eagles, even with that decimated secondary, but with the motivation of Doug Peterson coming out and saying, oh, I guarantee a win. Motivation. They also played great. Prescott played great. Zeke played great. They're a really, really good team. But at the same time, just like the Vikings, I also need them to prove that they are le- that, that they are a legitimate contender in the upcoming weeks. They play against the Patriots, the Rams, the Eagles, and the Vikings. Now, three of those games, three of those games, I expect them to win. Against the Patriots, not so much. Rams, Eagles, Vikings, they have to win that to be, in my eyes, considered true contenders. Their defense, when it locks down, and their offense fires in all cylinders, they are unstoppable. 
However, they haven't really been in sync together, aside from that Eagles game. Together. Against the Saints, 12-10. to 10. Offense wasn't performing great against a good defense that the Saints have. But their defense was amazing against Teddy Bridgewater. So, as soon as both of those sides of the football start working together and do really, really well, this Cowboys team is going to be really, really nice. At 8, I have the Indianapolis Colts. In my eyes, they are a much better Titans team. They are inconsistent, though. And that's what I meant by being like the Titans. They are inconsistent. They barely beat the Broncos by a game-winning field goal by Adam Vinatieri, who has been struggling. So that is great, but really, you barely beat the Broncos. And they've had bad losses, again, in, in that same division as the Broncos with the Raiders and the Chargers. But they still got wins, though. Pretty good wins, also, against the Chiefs and the Texans. So if you ask me, you beat those two teams, and you're right there. And also, their defense has been amazing, and Jacoby Brissett has been doing what is needed time and time again to get the win. Moving on, I have the Seahawks at number 7. Now, I would have them higher, but they did lose against the Ravens. But they still got Russell Wilson, so I can't really move them all the way down. I can't. They have a great record. They have Russell Wilson. And as long as you have Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll right on that team, and and, and in uh, Pete Carroll's uh, case on the staff, they're going to be competitive every single game. Even though they lost the, the Ravens and that Russell Wilson magic didn't come come out, and their defense is still a bit shaky against mobile quarterbacks and hasn't really had a great game this whole year. I still think that they are one of the best teams in the NFL. And that is purely because of Russell Wilson and what he is able to do time and time again. Although we did not see that against the Ravens. And number six, I have the team that just beat the Seahawks and that is the Ravens. And they almost beat the Chiefs, too. They were very, very close. Where Lamar Jackson, you just saw highlights on Bleacher Report every couple seconds of him doing something crazy, breaking people's ankles, throwing it deep, somehow that getting caught for a touchdown. Something crazy going on. They have a great head coach. They have a pretty good quarterback in Lamar, jo uh, Lamar Jackson, who is still developing. But their defense has not lived up to the expectations, to their standards that they set last season but I believe as long as they have Harbaugh there and they have Lamar Jackson who as long as he is a consistent double threat throwing the ball and running they look dangerous and look really really good because they can harm a lot of defenses that way because not many defenses still understand or know how to completely prepare for for Lamar Jackson and his dual threat. And number five, I have the Chiefs. And yes, I know that they don't have Patrick Mahomes right now, but when he comes back, he will be 100% healthy. And at that point, that is great. And that should move him up the ladder in, the, in this whole ranking list. The pass rush had looked phenomenal against the Packers, always getting there to Aaron Rodgers. Even though Aaron Rodgers is superhuman and 
somehow finds a touchdown or a wide, a wide receiver by scrambling again away from whoever's rushing him. They still got there. And against other quarterbacks, namely Tom Brady, who they will probably have to face in the playoffs, this is a good sign that their pass rush got there. The pass rush was really good last season, but didn't really have as great, did not play as great in the postseason. Maybe this year is a bit different in that case. Their defense still, as a group overall, still is struggling, but their pass rush is still there. And even without Patrick Mahomes there, they can still stay competitive with Matt Moore. But that's mainly because of Andy Reid. And also Matt Moore does have a good bit of experience. But with Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes right there, that pushes them over the top to be real contenders rather than have Matt Moore there. Which is going to happen. At number four, right ahead of the Chiefs, I have the Packers. Aaron Rodgers, he is Patrick Mahomes before Patrick Mahomes, and he has been on fire these past few weeks. I mean, that pass to Jamal Williams in the back of the end zone, yes, you can say, oh, he said that he was intending it for uh, Jimmy Graham, and he just threw it up there. And and when I first saw it, I was like, oh, that's all luck, and he just, you know, blindly threw it. And when I first thought, when I first saw it, I thought he was just trying to throw the ball away. And I was surprised that Jamal Williams ended up with it. So I thought it was all luck at first. But then I realized whether it was all luck or not, if it was skill, or he really knew that Jamal Williams was there, or if it just happened to drop into Jamal Williams' hands, does that really matter? No, not really. It does not matter at all because in the end, they got the win. And it showed how much they have grown as a group from the doubters, such as myself, who believe that they just needed one more year. Not this season, but one more year to be where they are right now. They fast-tracked, in my eyes, by a whole lot. And they look great. It shows how much they are a cohesive group and really putting the doubters to rest. And number three, I had the 49ers. Now, I've been all over it with the Niners. I've said that, oh, I don't believe in them, 6-10. and ten. Kyle Shanahan's great, but really, Jimmy G, eh. Defense looks great, but how quickly can they all mesh together? And I, just like the Packers said, not this season, next season. And now I'm going through the cycle with, with the 49ers of almost like the grieving cycle. I denied their greatness. I'm like, mm, no. And then I start bargaining. Or I get, well, actually, it's anger next. So it's now and then anger. Like, ah, oh, that's not possible. That's not possible. No, 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 no. And then bargaining. I'm saying, oh, well, I mean, they do have this going their way. They do have an easy schedule. And they don't really have much threatening them. And, you know, all, all of this different stuff. And after... Bargaining comes, comes, I forgot where the fourth one is, but I end up with acceptance. And that's where I'm at right now with the 49ers. I am finally accepting that they are a great team. And I think that that's probably the best thing. I know I'm late to the party, but I am accepting that they are a good team. And now I can look at them with fresh eyes. And with my window window wipers on my glasses, 
clearing off the lenses, and I can finally see that they are a great team. Their defense has meshed together amazingly. Nick Bosa has been amazing. Their secondary with Richard Sherman leading the charge, amazing. They did, they did a great job against the Panthers with Kyle Allen and Christian McCaffrey limiting them this past week. Great job. Only allowing 13 points. Their offense with Jimmy Garoppolo and Tevin Coleman going off. Wow. Kyle Shanahan has schemed the, that whole offense perfectly, getting George Kittle to be wide open, Tevin Coleman to just wreak havoc, Matt Breida getting in there, Jimmy Garoppolo, you know, doing what needs to be done. But I do finally accept this team as great, and that's why I have them as number three. The other two teams, the second one, top two, are the Saints. They're basically the 49ers, with, but with more experience, more vets, with more motivation, and a better quarterback. And a slightly better defense. You can argue that the Saints have the best of everything in the NFC. Better defense. Better special teams, even though that's not really a big thing. Better offense. Better weapons. Better quarterback in Drew Brees, who just came back. Better coach in Sean Payton. I can argue that they have the best team in the NFC, which is why I have them at number two. And with Drew Brees coming back, and the way that we just saw him destroy the Cardinals defense, and I know it's the Cardinals, but in his first game back, wow. Wow. And that Saints defense has been stopping everyone in their tracks. They look great. I just have the Niners right behind them because I think that the Saints are just a bit better better than the Niners in every single possible way. Just slightly better. And at number one, the dynasty continues. The Patriots. They have the best coach and defense in the whole NFL. That defense, it's schemed up and down. They know their film. They know their plays. They know what the opponent is doing. Bill Belichick has mastered that defense. You, you saw the way that they played against the Cleveland Browns when Baker Mayfield did that little shovel pass. That's supposed to be, you know, a sweep across with the wide receiver. Pretty sure that, pretty sure that was supposed to be the play. And, and, the, and just got blown up. Just got blown up before he could even pitch it. The guy was already there. And you can say, poor blocking. But at the same time, the Patriots knew what the play was. They knew, what, they, they knew exactly what was going on. They knew exactly what was going on. And yes, Tom Brady has not been as dominant as years past. He is not. He's not putting up historic numbers. He's not in MVP conversation. Nothing like that. But time and time again, and you will see it when it matters the most, he will put the ball where it needs to be. And he will score. Whenever it matters most. And after all these years... The dynasty is still going. The defense looks strong. Tom Brady still does it. Still does what needs to be done. And they're looking for their seventh ring. So that's my top ten. Vikings, Cowboys, Colts, Seahawks, Ravens, Chiefs, Packers, Niners, Saints, and Patriots. Alright. Now the last topic I'm going to be talking about, and it's kind of short. It's a bit short. 
is my way too early NBA predictions. Now, this one, I have three predictions. The first one is with last year's Rookie of the Year and the runner-up. Luka Doncic and Trey Young. Now, are they going to somehow win Rookie of the Year again and sparks up a whole other Ben Simmons joke? No. No. But my prediction is, and it's a bold prediction, is that if they lead their respective teams, the Hawks and the uh, Mavericks, to their to the playoffs, they will be MVP candidates. If they lead their teams to the playoffs, they will be MVP candidates. Trey Young, I, I know it's a small sample size, three games. Washington's case, four games. Lucas' case, three games. Trey Young has 34 points per game, shooting at 51.5% from the field, 52% from the three, 6.6 rebounds per game, and 9 assists per game. If you ask me, that is amazing. And against the Magic to seal the win, he scored 8 points in a row to get the win. Luca on the Luca on the other hand, and Kristaps has only made that team better. And him, he he's been amazing to watch. He's he's insanely good. Twenty nine point three points per game on fifty percent shooting. The three point field goal percentage is not quite there. It's low thirties. Ten point three rebounds per game. Seven point three assists per game. And then defensively, two point three steals per game. That is. Crazy from the second year players. That is insane. So I believe that if they keep that up and they lead their teams to the playoffs, and it probably has to be a bit higher seed, not six, seven, eight, maybe fifth seed. I can argue that they're that they're a true MVP candidate. But if they lead their team to the playoffs, they will be MVP candidates. So that's my first huge. Bold, way too early NBA prediction. The second one is again with Kyrie Irving and the Brooklyn Nets. The Nets are going to be a bottom seed playoff team, seventh or eighth seed, or they or they will not be in the playoffs at all. Kyrie already third game in. There is a bunch of noise already that he's had that he's had. Mood swings that has interfered with the team. He's not been very good at communicating with the team. Stuff like that. And we saw in his first game, he can have all the stats possible. 50 points, but still lose. In my mind, and from what I've seen, given his history with the Celtics and now with the Brooklyn Nets, from what I've seen, he does not know how to play cohesive team basketball with everyone passing the ball to each other. He is more familiar with street basketball words. One-on-one, spin move, do some sort of really cool layup or some sort of really cool fadeaway jumper. Highlight plays. Rather than team basketball where everyone's passing around Spurs basketball, even though, even though it's a bit slower, it gets the job done. And I do not think that he can do that. And the way that the team has been playing defensively as well, 
they're one of the worst defensive teams right now. I don't think that they're going to be a good team this year. 7th or 8th seed, or maybe not even make the playoffs at all. The third prediction that I have, and the final one that I have, is that once Mike Conley starts taking off, the Utah Jazz are going to take off. Yes, they sit at 2-1 right now, but it's a shaky 2-1. It's not very impressive. They've had really close games so far. Their offense, to me, has looked really lackluster. If they if their offense looked competent against the Lakers, they would win. But it didn't look competent, and so they got blown out. And it all rides on Mike Conley because I almost called him a spider, Mitchell. Don, Donovan Mitchell cannot do it all. He cannot. Not this year. Not this year. He needs some help. Um, Conley's first... Conley's stats in his first five games are not pretty. His points for the first four games, five points, 13 points, 12 points, one point, all accumulate, all accumulate to a an average of 7.8 points per game. He has three of 20 from, from the distance, from the three-pointer. That's 15%. 15%. And he's not doing too pretty from... Just regular field goal percentage. But I believe once he averages during a stretch, or maybe for the whole season in the end, and if he does, the Jazz will look amazing. If he averages around 20 points per game, 5 assists per game, he is close to that 5 assist mark, and starts hitting threes at a nice clip, mid-30s would be alright, and around 50% for field goal percentage then I think the Jazz will really take off and go on a pretty nice win on a pretty nice win streak. I had them getting around the second, third seed, mainly because they really should be aiming for that as a young team. So that they have a leg up on other teams that are more experienced than them. But also because I believe that with Mike Conley there, it's gonna ease up a lot of the stress on Donovan Mitchell to carry the load offensively for this team. Yes, Bogdanovich needs to do what needs to be done in order to score. Yes, Rudy Gobert can, should carry his own load offensively. But it all starts with Mike Conley. And Mike Conley, once he starts taking off shooting-wise, scoring-wise, it's going to make the Utah Jazz better and a lot more dangerous because they already have that defensive side of them locked up. So those are my three predictions. Trey Young, Luka Doncic, if they if they if they bring their team to the playoffs, they will be MVP candidates. The Nets are going to be seventh, eighth seed, maybe worse, and the Jazz are going to take off once Mike Conley takes off himself. So that'll do it for today's podcast. This is G Truth. Be sure to comment and give feedback. That's the biggest thing I can ask for. Just give feedback. That's all. And thank you for listening. And thank you for tuning in. And peace out.